the Lord said, Beware of false pod boys who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening idiots. Hello, brothers and sisters. I'm Matisse Van Rossum, and I've been impudent again. <laughs> I'm your Reverend Ben Sheets. I'm the boy y'all love to hate, Cleveland Mosier. And this day, we're coming at you with A Blast from the Past, a classic film, Cleveland's choice for the week, The Night of the Hunter. Well, Tease, I reckon you might even say it's a blasphemy from the past for me. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't have put it better myself, Brother Cleve. Oh, thank you, Brother Tease. Now, now it just sounds like you're doing Elvis. <laughs> well, I reckon I am. <laughs> Now, even though this was your pick, Cleve, you are the only one of us who has not seen this movie before. That's correct. Uh, I know that it's something that Ben and I have been recommending to you for a long time, and I sure hope it didn't disappoint. Oh, thank you for this gift. <laughs> I, I loved every bit of this film. It was, it was I know, I figure, I figure out of all of us, you are the one who should have seen it. It's so true. Over the two of yeah. us. But um, Well, that's the thing, because this movie is an American classic, but in a lot of ways is overlooked in the canon. a hundred percent. And that's mainly because of a few trappings, you know, whether it's Charles Lawton only directing this movie and nothing else, and that being kind of overshadowed by his acting career. Yeah, absolutely. Um, doing all those Shakespearean works or... Uh, this movie when it came out being a commercial and critical failure but it has uh, gotten acclaim since then and i think it yeah, deserves well every bit of it reading in the credits after the movie that uh we were watching the criterion blu-ray version and i saw that uh they credited martin scorsese as one of the people who uh was responsible for the restoration for this print in 2001 and scorsese's not the only uh pretty big director who will cite this movie as like oh one of the... yeah it's it's incredibly influential yeah. from the iconography you know the love and hate you see that in stuff like do the right thing yeah. to just the cinematography and the style Stanley Cortez, the fucking big boy OG. This movie is so fucking well shot. This is like the movie in film school that made me want to focus on cinematography, and it looks so goddamn good. Yeah, yeah. It's it's such a a rich film in nearly every perspective, from from the acting to the scoring to the cinematography to the writing. No stone is left unturned if there's something in a shot, even you know something as small as a watch in a window. Yeah, it's. It's used in some way. There's a, a high degree of, of care and detail in this movie. It did come out in 1954, and as Ben said, it's the only film ever directed by Charles Lawton, who is a uh, has a legendary acting career, but uh, this was like a passion project for him, and it just completely flopped. Yeah. It's based on a book, too. Yeah. Which I have not read. No, me either. I'd be um, curious, too. Um, but audiences hated it when it came out. Critics hated it. It was just, like, universally panned to the extent that it completely dissuaded Charles Lawton from ever making another film. I can't blame it, him. It was, it was his first, and it received <sighs> such negative feedback that he said i'm never directing another film again for a first film to direct like this is such like a golden standard i can only imagine like 
if he had directed other films, like what they would have been like with him, you know, learning and growing as a filmmaker. Cause like, this is a hell of a place to start. And it's, it's really sad that it, it didn't really, uh, get the appreciation it deserves until after he died. He, he went to his grave still thinking that the night of the hunter was a mistake. And, uh, that's such a shame. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because, uh, if you look at like the noirs of the time of the mid fifties, you can kind of understand why it was a commercial failure in some respects, Mm -hmm. just because it goes so against the grain of realism and kind of the no nonsense type of movies that were super popular. Granted in the fifties, the more expressionistic style was coming in, Mm -hmm. but it didn't really kick off at this point and it's it's a shame because this movie the expressionism of it is one of its best parts and and like really when you 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 bring up such a good point because when you think of noir films of this era and like even the late 40s and coming into the 50s you think of like the gumshoes detective uh investigating a mystery with a you know some sort of conspiracy and a femme fatale you know there's a very specific uh, blueprint for like what you consider a noir film and this film goes against that completely aside from the stylization well when two children are your protagonists right uh, that's well unheard of for for a noir film in particular something that's often you know portrayed as so dark i i would say that robert mitchum is just as much of a protagonist as the children but he's so evil i i mean technically he's an antagonist but he gets he gets as much focus and screen time as as the children right you know in that way the film is is very much it's about him too and he really steals the show oh Oh my god i mean robert mitchum is one of the greatest actors of all time in my opinion and this is like a completely magnetic performance. Mm-hmm. It's it's chilling. Uh, and to put a nice nail on the reception of this film, it has so much social commentary that would I could just not see going over well at that time. Totally. When, when your villain, first off, your villain's a preacher. Right. Uh, and, and not only is he a purely villainous preacher, he's a relatively believably villainous preacher. Yeah. All of the characters in this film are addressed is uh, with with a sense of of realism. They're they're often hammed up and they're framed very artificially. Uh, I mean, the children are all, the children are also bad actors. I thought they did a good job. I, I thought John, I thought for what was required, the, they, they met everything. A, okay, Pearl is Pearl is off. I thought she was they great. they both have some bad reactions really bad, at times yeah. Yeah. but uh it, it's believably so i think it, it, from a bad acting perspective it doesn't it doesn't really bother me the children never like robbed me the wrong way i know no. i never i was never bothered or or left feeling like they were obnoxious it's, i was their always concerned for them. their performances are very hammy but in a way like i almost think that the bad acting sort of adds to the the innocence of the children the movie is so much about 
the struggle of good versus evil and love and hate as it is written on Robert Mitchum's hands and as he mentions multiple times in the film and to have like these sort of like naive innocent characters that are also naive in the sense that they're just dog shit at acting it makes a good foil for like Robert Mitchum who is an incredible actor but is also playing like the the corrupt evil character and much of his character is like his character is acting he comes under the guise of a preacher but he has he has more sinister intentions you know oh yeah and and one thing that i think is interesting about this film too is that like you don't really start talking about like serial killer films until like the end of this decade with like uh peeping tom and like psycho those are pretty widely considered like really the 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 films that like kick off the serial killer subgenre but like this is a serial killer film most definitely yeah like they they even say that like we we start with seeing robert mitchum driving in this old model t and he's like talking to god and asking like how many women has it been now six twelve i've lost count yeah and when they capture him at the end and he's put on trial they say that he's murdered he's married and murdered 25 women to steal their money so like he is he is legitimately a serial killer and and like this film is not you know most people don't consider it in the serial killer canon oh it fits it It fits fits right in and i love it too because it is it's always sort of underplayed they don't draw too much attention to him being a serial killer he doesn't fit a lot of the the standard hallmarks there were there were hemmed on serial killers of that era right um being he doesn't come across as a as a lunatic he's he's a sociopath he plans all of his actions out and only once or twice does he lose his temper or his cool in the film but it's only when he knows that he's able to let that guard slip it's only when he's around the kids well like when he's he's, around the kids like there are several sequences like when he has the the meal splayed out for them uh, or when he's at the top of the the staircase to the cellar and he says you know i will lose my temper i'm right. going to lose my temper and he says it with that reptilian coldness and there's there's no emotion in his voice but yet he's saying like he's going to fly into a rage and it's so calculated oh god Ugh, it gave you the shivers yeah well in a lot of ways his character is believably a religious sell it too like totally he he has that crazed sociopath tinge to him where like a lot of the things he decides to do are for his own ends he always finds a way to give religious significance to it yeah that like god is giving him permission like when he says in the car at the beginning when he's driving past the cemetery and he says he's like oh lord i know you don't mind the killings your book is full of killings yeah so like even like the fact fact, well no it's not like the old (laughs) testament god is a fucking asshole like but the fact that we see him alone and he's also like talking to god i think it does like you said ben it it does show that he believes his sort of twisted sense of of religious morals you know and we get that excellent scene with the mother um where she's giving her testimony oh in front of the little crowd about how she was to blame for her husband yeah yeah Essentially, we haven't really talked about the premise. The idea is that the the little kids, John and Pearl, their father robs a bank 
and before he is caught and arrested, he hides the money. He gives them the money to hide somewhere, and uh, he ends up in in jail with Robert Mitchum, with with Harry Powell, the preacher. And uh, after Robert Mitchum gets out, he has heard this man talking about the money that he's hidden, the $10,000 that he's hidden. And so he goes to the guy's town and sort of like worms his way in and marries his widow under the pretenses of trying to find the money. And we see that only the children know where the money is. Yes. I, in particular, love the, the father's motivation. He wasn't just trying to get the money and he didn't kill like two people to to acquire like this $10,000 for the the motivation of helping his family exclusively. It was seeing all of the orphan vagabond children, you know, during the Great Depression, like during this era, uh, and not wanting that for his own family. And And that's why he gives the money to his son to hide. He says, I'm going to give it to you rather than your mom. Right, not even his wife. Yeah, he's like, like, I'm going to give this to you instead of your mom. She doesn't have any confidence common sense like you do which i mean kind of a shitty Fucked thing to up, say but but also kind of true but also he's right yeah. yeah we see that that she very easily falls under robert mitchum's sway to the point that he has her believing that she is responsible for her husband robbing the bank and killing those people and what i love is that i was a little concerned towards the first half of the film of the portrayal of women the the first half of the film, all the women you see are responsible for furthering the agenda of Robert Mitchum. Right. And uh, through acts of dipshittery <laughs> yes. as well. But Yeah, Shelley Winters is the is plays the wife and she is uh she is d- very stupid. <laughs> right. And and like and even even the even Pearl is with reason, you know, like a hitch. In, yeah. in the the plot like she's she uh causes more harm than good right well she's also, she's also like, like she's like a four, four year, year old, old. Yeah. yeah so she would and that that's believable but up until the two-thirds of the way through this film uh, even the especially the granny at the ice cream parlor they're all they're all miserable ladies they're yeah. they're all worthless and i was like oh you know this isn't like a great through line of a message and then at the very end, you get this ideal character. And then you get Lillian Gish's character who comes in and puts all that shit on its head. Because yeah. she is, like, the most badass person in and, this movie. Yeah. She's great. I want to make clear, I'm not saying, like, she's the ideal woman. She's the ideal, like, person to appear. Yes. In, you know, for the sake of the writing. Her first interaction with the kids is, like, whipping them up to her house. Uh, to, right. Because so they, they need a bath. Yeah, she's she's this... Uh, like she, the, she spanks and whips them, like, several times. <laughs> <laughs> she she's a farmhouse mother yeah, if there ever was. She's this she's this older woman who we learn ha- is sort of estranged from her own like grown children uh who never really come around anymore and so she has taken to sort of like adopting all of these kids orphaned by the great depression and she's just continually taking people in so when john and pearl wash up on uh on her river bank in the skiff because they've been fleeing robert mitchum she just takes them right in and protects them and the the hardness of her character and the sharpness leads you to organically theorize that her children are estranged from her potentially because of her own actions and that she's seeking this for redemption she never says that directly you you certainly get the impression though i think i I said something similar about midsummer and it's 
for such a film that is so staged, that's so noir and, you know, is, is perfectly framed and, and artificial, it does such a good job of presenting events to you organically, that being an example of one. And then another being the, the jars in the cellar. It's a very small thing, but I loved it. There's a moment when the children are hiding in the cellar from Robert Mitchum, and they bump the, uh, a shelf that has jars over it. And it's just a quick shot, little, just a little thing. You're concerned because the, the sound of the jars is going to you know, alert Attracts Mitchum, which it does. The, yeah. And then later on, they, the, the son lures him down there, and he kicks out the board from under the jar and it, uh, under the, the board and all the jars and the, the shelving fall, fall on Mitchum. On Robert Mitchum's and head, I, yeah. I enjoyed that because any other film, especially from that era, but even now, would would go so much farther either out of its way to show it or to not bother with it and just have it be a set piece. Uh, but right. we get we get um, just the right amount because like yeah. I I saw the jars and I thought okay cool they've served their purpose moving on but they they gave me a better sense of like the spacing of the the cellar and then we get this nice payoff with them at the end the way things expecting. are set up is really intentional in this movie in a good way I do want to go back to the role of women in this movie a little bit no there's sure. lots um, going back there just because I think uh, this movie can be read as a little misogynistic but i i actually read it as more of a comment on societal roles of the time mm-hmm. uh you especially get this with i'll call her old lady ice cream oh and, yeah um, mrs mrs spoon yeah which spoon. works for old lady ice cream <laughs> same name. um she really pushes the mother to get remarried yes. as fast as possible. Like, the father's body is, like, still warm. <laughs> right. Yeah, <laughs> essentially. And and fucking Mrs. Spoon is all, is saying stuff like, a woman can't raise children on her own, she needs a man, like... Let a lady know, grieve! Right. Yeah, and, and also, it, like, saying in front of the kids, like, he was never good for her anyway, she needs to, like, you're not getting any younger, you need to find well, somebody new fast. And here's this perfect uh, devout preacher man. There's generally r- very little sympathy for the father. Yeah, um, very you know, much so. since he's a convicted and hung murder, murderer. Yeah, like there's very little empathy towards that. In fact, like one of the first sequences we get after he's been taken care of, uh, to say the least, uh, is a group of kids singing a hangman song. In the playground. Yeah. That's so brutal. While John and Pearl just sort of stand there watching. They're singing it at them. And then they're drawing, like, a chalkboard uh, image on a fence post, which is great, because, like... Of a a hangman. Yeah. A hungman. Of a hangman. Which is cool, because during the Depression, like, uh, hobos would use, like, chalk and and scratch marks, so it's kind of fun seeing that. And considering that Shelley Winter's character is shown to be pretty naive and not the brightest, like, she's very much brainwashed by all of these societal pressures into marrying Robert Mitchum immediately, which is, of course, exactly what he wants. Mm. His character is a great actor as well. You know, he's he's charming. He's devout. You know, he's kind. He's he's a great hunter. You know, it, it is the night of the hunter. He uh, he knows how to trap these people. Similarly, in that vein with the societal pressures, I feel like this is definitely a film that like is very heavily allegorical. Lots of straight references from the Bible. But I also feel like especially in the first half, it is 
equally critical of Christianity as as it is sort of supporting the the basic tenets by the end. This film does a great job both when it comes to addressing societal stuff as you were bringing up earlier, and religious aspects. Yeah. Um, and, like, the aspects of the elements of sex as well. Does a great job of playing both sides of the field. Right. This is well, a very aware film. Lillian Gish's character plays a perfect foil because, you yeah. know, Henry is someone who uses the word of the Lord for his own sociopathic evil means. He and, uses it to justify what he does. And on the right? other hand, Lillian Gish's character, she really lives the word of the Lord. Right. And she's, you know, a very pure and good character who takes the needy in. And she's selfless. She's a good yeah, Samaritan. Yeah, she's, she's not doing it for herself. And I think that's the perfect way to approach it because you yeah. you get to go into some of that criticism of how religion can be used for selfish how oftentimes memes. people will just interpret religious writings in whatever way suits their needs best rather mm -hmm. than like really just reading the the messages of the stories yeah you're absolutely right Lillian Gish like really personifies like the idea of being a quote-unquote good christian whereas like i mean robert mitchum is obviously you know the the he bad christian right well i mean with lillian gish's voiceover at the very beginning like she's straight up warning about false prophets and then it cuts straight to robert mitchum it's like that's very obvious it was but the, even, the religious equivalent of the seed of crime bears right bear fruit. but even but even so like seeing how easily uh shelly winters like falls under his sway and that he already has like a congregation in the town when he comes in and even like old lady spoon and her husband like how everything they're saying is like oh the lord you know is guiding you to do this you know the lord says do this and like just how easily all of these like so-called christians are willing to do very unchristian things to the extent that even at the end when robert mitchum has been captured and tried the same people get whipped up into a frenzy and form a lynch mob well the beauty of that is the opening quote is very specifically a sinful tree will bear evil fruit and a good tree will bear good right. fruit a good tree does not bear evil fruit judge a tree by its fruit right you know or there's judge a man by his actions exactly and all of the people judge robert mitchum for for the tree he portrays he himself to like, be yeah. but not for his actions exactly and i love that like it's so well and it pans in on him you know driving in his car during that opening sequence we're given everything we need and it's done poetically that's Big a fan. that's a great way to put it i really agree and i think the way it's approached in the movie it almost feels like a fable the, yeah. the movie itself um especially with the expressionism and the the style and the dreaminess of it all. Yeah. Um, to the point where... It's like a parable. You know, yeah, exactly. And I think we mentioned some of the bad kids acting, but I think the, the style of this movie masks a lot of that True. because it is definitely a fable bigger than reality right well know? and and like i said too like bad acting sort of carries with it this sort of connotation of like naivete and and innocence you know because like to be a good actor you have to understand your character you know and a lot of kids just aren't capable of that especially in this era like a lot of child actors were just 
dog shit. But I think that considering the subject matter of the film and the struggle between innocence and corruption, the bad acting kind of heightens that a little bit. Very strong parallels, yeah. I think. Well, especially once the children escape and they make their way down the river, the yeah. film takes an even more like uh, storybook approach to its yeah, cinematography. Totally. You get the interluding shots of creatures... And the backdrop becomes much more of an apparent set with the the artificial starry night over them. The silhouettes. This film like does silhouettes so yeah. incredibly. It's my favorite stuff. I've got I've got chicken skin. Uh, yeah. Right we now. on top of that, you know, we mentioned the cinematography quite a bit because it is so stark, mm-hmm. um, high contrast with the strong blacks. But we also have a a lot of use of compositing. Yeah. In this movie, which I think works super well. You get these amazing deep focus focus shots where they're just layering projections over each other. It's easier to spot on the Blu-ray having such a high resolution. Mm -hmm. Like, you can definitely tell what is composited, but it's like a double-edged sword because, like, that resolution also makes some of those shots just look just chef kiss oh well yeah. worth insanely that. beautiful i love the compositing though i, I mean I, yeah, I think it works i think it, it works with the style they're going for in the movie and on top of that i think especially with uh, some of the shots you get an overall better image than you would yeah. just by itself I love that that shot of Robert Mitchum in the foreground on the riverbank, and it's like composited with the picnic happening behind him. The behind image is all like sunny and beautiful, but like he's got this like really moody, like dark lighting across his face, and you, the light reflection from the water like he's got that on black cowboy hat too. Yeah. like oh, his costume good. is great. It's, great. Oh, it's yeah. real good with the like the the old fashioned sort of like. Bow bow tie like literal bow mm-hmm. uh and yeah. like you said the hat it's that doc holiday get up i just love it and the uh the finger tattoos the love and hate yeah and his uh his iconic switchblade yeah. there's oh, so man. much good good design stuff in this movie yeah we could we could talk for taste yeah <laughs> I, there's unpacking this film there's a few shots that i always think deserve particular praise one of my favorites is right before he murders shelly winters when she's in bed and she kind of knows that he's going to kill her and she's like praying and you get have the wide shot you have a, a natural frame of the the steepled roof and he's standing by the window with the moonlight coming in he like raises up his hand Oh, that shot gives me goosebumps every time. I, I absolutely love the way they shoot some of those interior scenes. Oh um, the house, they do it a couple times where, like, the house is so angular mm-hmm. and expressionistic that they just make it completely black outside. So you feel like you're very contained inside this room. Yeah. They do the same thing a little bit later in the movie with the cellar. Mm-hmm. Um, when he's going down the stairs, everything outside of what's at the cellar it almost is looks, completely dark. It almost looks like a stage set where mm-hmm. like it everything in front of a certain point is just black. Uh, it's incredible. And the the shot of Shelley Winter's body in the car underwater, 
oh my god, that shot is insane. Ugh. Yeah. Oh, with, the, okay. with, with, the, with, like, the river grass and, like, her hair, like, flowing in the current. And panning up even to the boat yeah. above with the, the fisherman yeah, uh, having the his hook. Yeah, her yeah. brother. Well, I think he's, I think they call him uncle because he's, like, the general uncle. old, old yeah. town uncle. The everybody, drunk uncle. Everybody calls him <laughs> yeah, Who lives on his little houseboat on the river. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's, uh, I don't think he's actually related to them yeah yeah he's like that he's he's a great character because like you have all the the setup at the beginning with him and and the little boy john like being friends and like repairing his father's so delightfully platonic it's such a sweet little relationship like oh man oh and he tells him he's like he's like you know if you're you know that that preacher you know gives me a bad feeling like if you're ever in trouble you know come to uncle birdie and we'll you know I'll take care of you and then when they do go to him he's completely useless he's drunk lying on the floor because he saw Shelley Winter's body in the car and he won't go to the police because he thinks that they'll pin it on him I love that for finding her body like so he him looking down at the water and right so they you said, just you see the moment where he fails his will save <laughs> <laughs> he just like loses it it's great and they yeah so they like set him up as being like the good character that the kids can trust you know that he's gonna be sort of like a savior and then he's completely useless yes, the moment falls and then they have to uh take the skiff and and sail down the river which is is great i want to i want to talk i do want to talk about that that setup because they've they've locked him in the cellar they're running from him they go to the the one person who's been made clear can help them he's he's incapacitated and these children have nowhere else to go and they remember the skiff that he'd repaired right. for them which i love because it still gives like that character a degree of agency even though he's like incapacitated in that sequence right, he, he helped, repaired the he boat john repair the yeah. skiff so yeah. he still sort of remains relatively virtuous which i like sure and, totally uh the the kids the kids go to the, the skiff they're running along the riverbank going to it they're wading through the mud and of course at the top of the hill you know is is, is crowned by mitchum yeah and uh i love that scene it's... where he tries to chase them into the river and he gets caught in the mud and, and he tries to wade into the river but at that point they're in the current and they're going down and he just screams and rage this animal roar yeah. and again that's the f- one of the first times we see him really lose his temper right and you see him for the tr- like the monster that for the wolf for the wolf in the sheep's clothing oh yeah yeah. and you know he's wearing that clothing but to see him like take the cowl off and just be this hideous beast as the children float away incredible because all those other moments you know i'm going to lose my temper and then it just he just sets off in that sequence and we finally see that oh god so spooky so spooky no, he's he's a fucking incredible villain. It's funny how much that scene is uh, is sort of paralleled by like the climax of uh, the original Cape Fear, which he's also in. Also ends with him and uh, and Gregory Peck like fighting in the river and in, in the water. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, and it's it's shot similarly. To, it's not. Oh man, that, might that, have to make that another pick. The one part of this movie that. I used to have more of a problem with, as I've watched this movie more times, it's become less of a problem for me, is the pacing of the third act. Yeah, I agree with you. I I have been bothered less by that by more viewing. I loved too. it. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I think it, I think it accelerates 
pretty well. It becomes a very different film, you know, once they they get onto the river and escape, and once they meet up with Lillian Gish. But I, I think in I think in a good way. For me, the this film had a modern level of pacing. It's pretty consecutive, and whenever it does take its time, it's taking its time with I a think, beautiful shot. In terms of the idea of parable, it works really well to give Lillian Gish's character so much time as a foil to Mitchum. Mm-hmm. We need that time to set her up. Yeah, I think that works well. I used to have a little bit more of a problem with how long that took. Additionally, I had a little bit of a problem with the Christmas ending. Yeah, same, but um, I, I care less about that. Exactly. I, the more I see it, though, the more it doesn't bother me, because I think in context of the whole movie, it's kind of a breath, a denouement of yeah. sorts. I loved two bits, the relationship between her and Ruby. Oh, yeah, <laughs> like, Ruby. Ru- Ruby's character is, that's a perspective we don't often get. And I, I liked, I, I, we don't need to dig into it, but I, I enjoyed that, that whole take. It's, it's just the right level of unsettling. I've been out having men buy me ice creams. <laughs> <laughs> I fell in love with the serial killer because he said I look good. I know. I did think One that. Time. <laughs> I, I did think that was a little bit corny at the end when they're walking past the the jail uh, after he's been captured and Ruby's like, they know I love him. It's like he came to the house in the middle of the night and tried to murder these other kids that you're living with. Like, what, what are you talking talking about ruby you dipshit <laughs> boys will be boys boys will be boys uh my my only my only thing about the pacing that i do still think it, it bothers me a little bit but not enough to have much of an uh, an impact on my impression of the movie is i think there are times especially at the like the very beginning and towards the end where the editing is very weird. In what way? I'll use the beginning specifically, just like how hard some of the transition cuts are, where Mm. they don't feel like natural editing pacing. Like, we see the kids playing hide-and-seek at the beginning, and, like, the one kid runs to the cellar, and then it just, like, hard cuts to, like, the the lady's legs, like, in the the cellar steps. Oh, okay, yeah. That's kind of weird, and, like, when... Shelly Winters is talking to uh, Old Lady Spoon, and she's like, you need a man to help raise those kids. Hard cut to, like, the train and the bum, bum, bum. <laughs> and then hard cut back to the, the ice cream shop. is like, it, the Lord intended for the raising of children to be done by two people. Smash cut back to the train. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. Like, that, that kind of stuff. I think it's a little bit sloppy. Yeah. I think it's more indicative of some of the filmmaking conventions of that time that I don't think have aged super well. Also, like, when Mitchum does get into uh, Miss Cooper's house at the end, and we see, like, the cat come down the stairs as, like, the kids are running up, and we see Lillian Gish, and then we just hear a meow, and it cuts to Robert Mitchum, like, popping up from the bottom <laughs> of the screen, and he looks really surprised and then Lillian Gish just shoots him and then he runs off going yo whoa whoa 
I love, I love every bit about that. I, I think I think him running it's goofy away, as fuck. And I think I love him it. running away, whooping is funny, but just like oh, it's the, great. It's kind of spooky too. Just like I was, the, I was kind of creeped out by it. It's like an animal like sound. Yeah, the but just like the cutting of that series of events of the cat to Lillian Gish mm-hmm. to just the sound of the cat because we don't him, really know what happens with I, it. like does the cat bite him? I don't get it. Like I think I think the cat startles him. I think that's what it's yeah. supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, that's that, what I that read. the cat startles him and that he comes up out of his hiding spot and she shoots him. I think that's where it's supposed to be, but, but, you know, just like you were confused, I think that confusion comes because of the editing. Yeah. And I, I dig that. That's, just, that's, just a shot of, like, the cat bumping into him or something. Right. Like, there's just a few times so where there need, it feels like there needs to be, like, one more shot to to sort of create, like, a, a continuity in in the editing. Well said. But it's, it's, in it's, such, it's in such few parts of the film. Like, I think for most, especially, like, the middle section, and it's so stylized and sort of dreamy, too. That yeah, I, I think it, it much like when, the kids when, acting, it's masked over by yeah, the style. The style helps it so much. Like I, I have a lot of good things to say about the writing and the direction and the performances in this movie. But that being said, I do think the style does so much of the heavy lifting. When the editing was, it's on. that if it was that if this film was shot by a less competent cinematographer or done in a more high key lighting style, I think the film would suffer greatly from it. I agree. Uh, I, I definitely think that that the the style does a lot of the heavy lifting in this case. You know, it's not a bad thing. Like some some films are, you know, very much about about creating atmosphere and a mood, and I think this film does that extremely well. Oh yeah. And that the the story and the characters and stuff are sort of meant to accompany that mood, and uh, I think in in this case they they do it well. I, I love the the scene with uh, with Lillian Gish sitting on the porch with her shotgun, and Robert Mitchum is outside at the gate sitting, and they're like singing together. Oh, my mouth is just watering thinking about that shot. Yeah, we get this this sort of clash of like two very different Christian philosophies, right? You know, um, or just but they, being they, used for good and ill, but they 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 both sing. Yeah, they they uh, start singing the same hymn together, which is I and then to have one of the girls Ruby. come down, Ruby come down with the candle and have the light from the candle obscure the screen, glaring, glaring, yeah. and so you can't see Mitchum anymore. And then Lillian Gish blows out the candle and he's gone. Yeah, showing that Robert Mitchum is a true Shinobi. True Shinobi. <laughs> I, I watched I watched for it this time, and you can if you look very carefully. When that light comes on, you can see him duck down below the window. Good. Frame. Oh, cool. Um, I yeah. caught that. That's, uh, I, love, I love it when you can. You I have had, to look for it. Cause it's, you know. it's one of those things because like, I've seen it so many times and I know the trick. So I was just curious to see if I could spot him leaving his position. And you can, but it's very – because the glare from the light pretty much blocks it. It's the kind of thing that if you're not laser-focused on that part of the screen looking for that, you won't, you won't well, catch it. Well, even better for the world building too that yeah. you can because he's not a specter. He's a person. Right, and, exactly. You know, but to, to give him that guise of being a specter, great stuff. I, lo- I love how they hide things in shots like and the how, children's faces. And how the often they and, have him either in silhouette or have his shadow on a wall 
uh, especially like his shadow engulfing like one of the children or something. He he very much has the effect of being a specter, even though like he's he's definitely just a man. Yeah, but it definitely gives him that dark energy. And con- considering that you know it, most it, of it almost makes the, the second half of the film into a a monster film, right? Like, and I mean considering like, considering that most of the film is from the perspective of of children. To have him be sort of a larger-than-life dark presence is is really effective. Oh, yeah. I mean, a lot of those cinematography tricks that they use in the film, I mean, they use for, like, Bela Lugosi movies. And, yeah, and totally. Stuff too, and I, I love that. It, it's, 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 I, I prefer it in this, even. Um, and I love those films. I would even say that the cinematography in this film is inspired even more directly from, like actual German expressionism than just from, like, film noir. Oh, yeah, like, the the cabinet played a role in this movie. Like, film film noir came out of German expressionism, but, like, German expressionism has such, like, particular trademarks of, like, very sharp angles and stuff that, like, you mentioned earlier, Ben, about the house being Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. angular um, and sharp-edged that... uh, that that's the kind of stuff where I I really think of things like the the cabinet of Dr. Caligari or like the Phantom Carriage or Vampire. You can really trace those roots back. And I mean it's not too far in terms of time period, it's only you know, like 20 years removed from the peak of German expressionism. So I've only ever seen one other film that Stanley Cortez shot, and that's Shot Corridor. Which we should cover at which some is point. A, which is a I dope love fucking that movie. movie. Shot Corridor oh my is God. great. Um, but that's the, only, that's the only other film that I've seen shot by Stanley Cortez, and, like, he is such an incredible cinematographer. I don't know. I can't remember what else he's done. I need to. It look. hasn't. I, as far as I remember, it's not a ton of note. Like he shot some smaller films. And I mean, considering you know the the time, like the Night of the Hunter was was a, a smaller film and a failure. And a failure. You know? Yeah, it's just wild, man. I, I I just like can't watch this film and imagine a mindset where people are like, this movie sucks. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. maybe maybe it maybe it is partially because of some of the the critique of of Christianity and oh like, yeah, it's you know like I think like uh, a and, large portion of people watching this film were were too caught up in their Christian values could to be. you know like see see it for what it is. Well, I think it's just because it's in some ways abstract. Also, placing know? children yeah. in danger. Yeah, early child endangerment. Yeah, I mean, this, this is movie. like child endangerment, the movie, and it's also uh, this film is a, is a character driven, like psychologically driven uh, style of horror. Yeah, and that the, people liked monster movies then. Right. That, that's that's not the kind of thing people were looking for. Like we never see any... even in your other standard dark dark noir films you're talking about at the time. There's still like a flawed good character and a villain of yeah. some sort. Like there's detective, bad, you know, and criminal. Uh, we never we never see any real violence against the the kids, but like there's some implied though. There's there's plenty of it implied, and I mean the number of times that Robert Mitchum threatens them with his switchblade, yeah. and, like waves it in their face. It's like that's intense now. Yeah, like they're I mean they're obviously on the film not going to show him doing anything to the kids, but you believe that he that he has no qualms about I, murdering I, those children. Yeah, I mean you you have a a film where like you have a serial killer caught in a house with two. Children children yeah that was 
released in the 50s. Yeah. I'm not at all surprised that this film, you know, didn't didn't go over well. I'm bummed out by it, but I'm not surprised. Another another subtle touch that I I want to talk about briefly, um probably one of the last things that I I want to bring up, but I love the scene where Pearl has like started uh, making the the bills into like paper dolls. The big reveal about halfway through is that the money is hidden in her doll that she carries everywhere with her. Yeah, she's sort of sitting outside in the on the cobblestones out front of the house, like making like tearing it up and making paper dolls and stuff. And John comes along and he's like, "Oh, what are you doing? You know, hide it." And he's helping her put it back in the doll. And then we see like Robert Mitchum like coming to the door behind them and being like, "What are you doing? Like, isn't it time you get?" off to bed like and they're still like shoving all this money into the doll as he's coming down the stairs towards them and they get it in the doll in time but what i love is Mm -hmm. the the shot where they like run up to him and they're like the camera's down at his feet because that's where the kids are and you see the little paper dolls of bills like blowing past his feet in the wind up under the house and you just don't know if he saw them or not and either one could be believed and of course he doesn't, um, and that right. reveal is, late, is is placed later on. But you could almost buy that maybe he did for 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 a scene or two later. You could think like, oh, maybe he's he's got it. Right. Well, yeah, that's yeah, such dude. that's such a tense moment that he's mm-hmm. like, you know, about to catch them in the act, and like he's been looking for this money. And you know that once he has it, like the kids are no good to him anymore. You know, the only at that point he's already murdered their mother or maybe that's right before he does murder it's before, her I it's right before um i think she, i think it's like the next scene when he kills her is right after that but like they're no use to him except for they know where the money is and he doesn't so like to have the bills like blowing past his feet at that moment it's like if he just looked down and saw those he would know that they have the money with them it's such a tense moment. I only think I have one more scene to address, and then I've I've got everything covered. And we already talked about it a little bit, but the honeymoon sequence. And oh yeah, how, how the dialogue does such a great job, and and also the acting in that sequence as well. I, overall, the the mother like doesn't do much for me acting wise. Like a couple of her lines seem sort of flat, but she's sort of she's portraying like a, a less intelligent character, so it, it works. But here, I this one sequence, I actually very much so enjoyed her acting. Yeah, I thought um, she did great. Uh, and that was um, the the scene just does this great job of dancing around what it's trying to say, and that's like she really needs sex. You can see it on her face. You can see that she's incredibly lonely and that she needs some sort of physical comfort. Right. And the way that he denies that from her is awesome because still today we get so many of these fucking awful like rapey villains right. who are like sex is always in their minds like, oh, he's rapey or he's a creeper, so he must be a bad guy. And to have a character who is so wantonly evil and non-sexual and like to deny her that and like right. the evil act that he commits in that sequence is actually denying her love. It's awesome. It's great. Like, God, more of that in movies. It's fucking awesome. Yeah, I love that. He's like, he he says the a a woman's body is for procreating children. Are you trying to have any more children? And she's like, no. He's like, well, then you don't need to be thinking about that kind of thing. Yeah. And it's great because like even then, like he, uh, he, he, he addresses that and like, they just, they never, they never say it. You just see it on her face. Right. The, the great part of that too is they kind of build up his hatred of 
women's promiscuity oh, yeah. uh, yeah, the earlier in the movie you know like when he's at the burlesque show yeah and he's like getting visibly angry to the point where he like sticks his knife through his yeah he, uh, he grabs his knife in his coat pocket and the blade pops out his pocket that's a great shot yeah Especially because it's his his hate hand. Yeah, we see the 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 fist clench and go into his pocket. I do think that that's funny. Is like if you hate the idea of female promiscuity so much, why are you in that burlesque bar in the first place? Like just to be mad. Well, he gets off on it. He gets off on his hate. Yeah, because I mean, he well, he even says to himself like as at that moment before the cops come in and arrest him for stealing the car at the beginning, he like looks up at the sky and he's like. He's like, there's too many of them, isn't there? You can't kill a whole world. And why, too, like, his his victims are all, like, women. They're all widows, you know, who are seeking affection and love, and in return, he murders them and takes their money. I really like the, especially in the 50s, too, like, I, I love the idea of, like, a a non-sexual villain. Or, or even you could pull from that, that he probably grew up homosexual like he was probably gay i mean like and and turned to priesthood you know as by societal confines and that would also incur like towards his hate of women it's it's possible i mean there's i don't think there's anything in the film that there is that really Uh, suggests that but but it's definitely a running theme he has yeah he has he has some sort of deep-seated hatred for what he describes as like perfumed and lacy things like he has he has this this very uh stark like hatred for the feminine personally i read that as an extension of his religious zealotry yeah Um, i think that's taking the words of the the bible and putting them to an extreme right there's so much in the in the bible especially in the old testament about like the whore of babylon and jezebel and like the the idea of like women as as evil seductresses and i i think that both of those readings that each of you have could be well I, could be correct and could I, go well, hand well, in hand i would say that there's no reason it can't be both i'm actually implying that yeah like, I, I think it, it's it's definitely what ben just said like, it's definitely that. And I'm saying that often that is the case with, you know, people who are, you know, born homosexual and are pinned into that position societally. Yeah. You know, and that's that's where that comes out. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, because, like, the, the Bible is utilized as an, as an excuse to convert, you know, them to hatred. Right. Uh, and it's... It's fucking powerful shit, man. Like, and the I just I'm, don't I'm want it. the movie didn't need to say anything else about it. Yeah, like, it, I, I, at all. I'm not asking for it too. I'm just speculating. I don't want to go full J.K. Rowling and give an identity to a character that didn't have that identity in the work. <laughs> for sure, for sure. You know? And I and I I also think that it's we don't want to stray too close to the rather old fashioned idea in a lot of movies of like homosexuality being repressed and creating deviance. There is definitely that old trope of like the gay killer and stuff who, sure. you know, can't be, uh, you know, who because of his deviancy, he doesn't have a way, quote unquote, deviancy doesn't have a way to express it. So he turns to violence. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do think that that is uh, an, an interesting possibility. The two ideas that y'all posit are not mutually exclusive. And, and I think it's interesting that there is a 
degree of like characterization for Robert Mitchum that you can speculate on those things. I would say that he is by far the most nuanced character in the film. Distinctly evil, but definitely more fleshed out than the kids. Yeah. Like like any good serial killer film. Is it right in time? I, I think so, else? yeah. I feel okay. good about it. Yeah. Um, well, why don't you start, Cleveland? Um, uh, that's my usual spiel. I recognize that there's no such thing as a perfect film, but this film is perfect for me. It's a five out of five. Ben? Yeah. I mean, uh, this movie is an American classic. It's probably top 10, top 20 of my favorite movies of all time. It's a perfect parable. The minor problems with, uh, the third act have kind of disappeared as I've seen it more and as I've grown older. Disappeared Um, or at least become preferential. Yeah, and I think in context, as the more you watch it and the more you read some of the things they're trying to go at, especially with the foil between the two Mm -hmm. characters, I think it becomes more intentional and less bothersome. Um, And a lot of times the, the problems of this movie is masked by how great the style is. Totally. Um, and kind of the interpretive, expressionistic nature of it. It's a five out of five for me. Yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and say same. It's a five out of five for me as well. My first couple of times watching it, the sort of like corny Hallmark Christmas ending frustrated me because I loved the, the dark moodiness of the film so much. I'm like, ah, why do you have to end on such a, such a, a stereotypical... Uh, happy ending that's like is the fifties, you know. It's and you you want you want this kind of story to have an uplifting message by the end. I think I'll tell you, I love dark ending films, but for me now, I I wouldn't have wanted that film to have a dark ending. <laughs> I, uh, I've, I I personally am very happy that it I've, had a positive I've definitely ending. I've definitely come around on it a lot. I I think that it actually ends the way it needs to. And uh, aside from my slight little problems with the editing here and there, uh, I also just think that that's kind of hallmarks of the time and. Uh, for for what the film is like it's so good at at creating this just like powerful dark eerie uh atmosphere and like robert mitchum is is uh, a god amongst actors pretty much everything about this movie is perfect and uh the the minor problems i have with it are not enough to take away that perfection so yeah it's it's definitely a five out of five for me so that's unanimous five out of five pods another golden pod yes joining the hallowed halls and uh if you like classic movies definitely check this one out yeah if you like film noir uh, if you like, if you like good acting, it's not everywhere in this movie, but Lillian Gish and Robert Mitchum are are powerhouses. And and where where it isn't is more than tolerable. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah, it's a. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I think that this is a, an incredible movie. It's probably probably my favorite film of that of that era. Do you guys want to get angry? I found a Metacritic corner for us. Oh, you have a Metacritic corner. Yeah, mixing it up. This okay. episode is <laughs> sponsored by Rage. Here we go. Okay, so this review uh, comes from Uncle Earl. Okay, um, it's a good start. And he gave it one out of ten. 
There has never been a more overrated movie to ever waste space in a film reel. That's not Whoa. true. I'm pretty sh- back, Uncle Earl. I'm pretty sure everyone who gives it a good rating is attesting it solely on Mitchum's acting. He carries the movie alone, and even then, it still sinks to rock bottom. Every single other actor is annoying, incompetent, or both. The plot rarely resolves anything it introduces in the story, like it's dragging its legs over jagged rocks and not trying to correct this. The conclusion came from absolutely nowhere. It's like everyone who was a part of this was hired to make a movie together, and none of them had actually seen one before. (laughs) The whole thing worked better as a novel where you don't have to accordion everything into a short two-hour video and require on actors to convey the work. I give it a one because Mitchum wasn't god-awful in this. This film ties everything off with a bow. What the fuck is he, he knows, talking about? He knows that this movie came out in 1954, right? And there was no such thing as video. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't put it past. This is your drunk uncle at Thanksgiving. Shut, like, shut up. Go home, Uncle Earl. You're, you're drunk. Nobody wants to hear what you have to say. <laughs> right. No, nobody, nobody wants to hear your opinions on on the immigrants or or the wall. (laughs) Shut the fuck up, you asshole! Oh my god, yeah, that's extremely frustrating. Wow. What I was not expecting from that review was the book is better than the movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess I'm a little sold on reading the book now. Uh, I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm I'm, I'd be curious to read the book. I always forget that this movie is based on a book because I see that at the beginning of the film and by the end, I don't give a shit anymore because the movie is so good. Oh, I hate to bring up something else after we've rated, but I did. I did have one thing that I'd, I'd, I'd lament not not mentioning. Okay, and that is the the very shaky expository shots. Oh my god! The, 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 the helicopter shots. They're, Jesus they're very shaky, and I. It's I, I hard to shoot in a helicopter. I was man. thinking about it. I don't know exactly why they made it into the final edit, and that's. Uh, or I, I think I have a speculation, and that's they. Uh, they saw it, uh, and they they were you know ready to put it on the cutting room floor, and. They just said, yeah, but we, we spent so much money on these. You know, we, we got a helicopter and everything to get these shots. Yeah, but they're shaky as hell. Yeah, but we paid for it. You know, I and would... it stayed in the film. Because, like, you could have just taken a, a fucking still from those shots and just, like, you know, like, Fade it in and out, and it would have been fine. I can, like, I can also more than fine. I can also say with a fair amount of confidence that the Blu-ray high resolution cut of this film makes those shots look worse. Oh, well, and yeah. the thing is too, like getting a shot on a helicopter in the fifties, hard, very hard. And honestly, yeah. like it was pretty standard for them to be a little shaky. Stability yeah. wasn't like. A strong. Yeah, I'm not These asking are, for a drum shot. Bad. Just give me a still instead. Like, I know. I agree. <laughs> I agree with you there. Uh, I have seen. I have seen lower res cuts of this film where the shots were shaky, but not that bad Mm -hmm. like watching it in this resolution this time on like a nice size tv it's like motion sickness it it makes a difference you can really notice that kind of stuff like you can i I still 100 recommend it in blu-ray it's it's gorgeous oh yeah 100 like Like, the 
the Criterion comes with the whole second disc with like a two and a half hour making of thing. <gasps> oh, I'll watch it. Oh, I'm gonna watch it. Yeah, I want to. I haven't seen that either. But uh, a full feature length making of of this movie, yes, I would love to see that. Please. Um, well, anyway, we've. Uh, I think we've gushed about this movie enough. Yeah. So. Um, That'll bring us to the end of this week's episode. Next week, we're going to be covering another new film, the Guillermo del Toro-produced Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, which uh, I'm pretty hyped for. I'm trying to keep neutral. I'm trying to keep my expectations low, but those were some of my favorite books as a kid that got me into horror and the fact that they're using the illustration, the legitimately nightmarish illustrations of those books as visual reference for so much in the film, like they're straight from those illustrations and that gets me very high. The trailers so in, far are very spooky. I am concerned I hope I'm wrong. I'm just, I'm concerned that rendering those illustrations in CG will take some of the magic away from them for me. I'm a little concerned going in. Those books are a huge inspiration to me too, and I don't, I don't know. From so the trailers, I, I'm going in from the trailers, hesitant. it looks, from the trailers, it looks like they did it right, but we'll, I we'll have so. to, we'll have to see. What makes me the most nervous about this is that Guillermo del Toro only produced this film yeah. and is not directing it. I have never heard of the director who made, who shot this movie. Uh, we'll get into that next week, but I'm a scared of it being a mama situation all over again because del toro produced that movie and it's not a great movie <laughs> <laughs> yep uh, uh, those those illustrations still scare me however well, we can get yeah into we'll, we'll get into that just... i'm i'm excited for the movie uh i hope it doesn't let me down like some other movies have this year uh that's all i'm saying but uh tune in next week to hear our full thoughts um and go see the movie yourself if you're interested yeah and um you know, other than that, we only just got the same spiel we always got. If you like the show, go on to Apple Podcasts or wherever else you get your podcasts and uh, make a deposit of a five-star rating and a nice review. And you can then make a withdrawal of our... An episode. An episode and our our undying love and appreciation. And uh, also, you can follow us on Twitter at PodPeoplePod, mostly just for GIFs. I've taken to posting GIFs on the Twitter. That's... Is it GIFs or GIFs? No. I'm not having this argument <laughs> on the podcast. No. Uh, um, but you can also follow us on, letter, on Letterboxd. Letter, if you have a Letterboxd, uh, just search for us, Pod People Pod on Letterboxd, where you can find a list of all the films we've talked about on the show with our ratings and the links to those reviews. And you can also see our list of Golden Pods, which now has its newest member in The Night of the Hunter, uh, slowly, slowly growing. I think this is our fifth perfect film uh, i think we're above that are at we? this point yeah check out letterbox to find out <laughs> um you can follow me on twitter at mr van awesome and support me in my quest to become a twitter guy <laughs> i'm uh on twitter at mr sheets and you can also pick up my music at eaten by nostalgia.bandcamp.com it's also on streaming services everywhere and you can find me tweeting for Light Arc Studio as we work to 
continue working on working it, putting out our our delightful work that we've been working so hard on. It stares back, and yeah, enjoy the shit out of it. It's on Steam. Check it out. It stares back. Yeah, by the time this episode comes out, we might have a new update out. Well, with a, we should. Yeah, we should. We should by uh, then. With a with our uh, level editor, our all new level editor. Make your own levels and be fun, a, and a set of community made map pack. Or, That's right, uh, maps. Yeah, our, come join our, our Discord pack. if you want to make some levels with us. You know, uh, it's a it's a whole fun freaking time we're having in there. Yeah, we're having a damn blast. But uh, otherwise, you can uh, just play the game on Steam. It stares back six dollars. You for know, now. It. <laughs> for now, for now. Okay, getting better. We got we got plans. All right. Well, thank you, as always, for listening. Check back next week for our review of Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. And until then, keep leaning on those everlasting arms, baby. On the everlasting arms. What a blessedness. What a peace is mine. Leaning on the everlasting arms. Leaning on Jesus, leaning on Jesus, safe and secure from all alarms. Leaning on Jesus, leaning on Jesus, leaning.